Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to talk to you about the fact that very little is more godlike than loving our enemies. Very little is more godlike than loving our enemies. A study was recently done, okay, so this was just finished this fall, um, from Yale University on the effects of social media on our anger. And like, what is this doing to us long term? And here's what they found. Uh, because we get kind of a dopamine hit every time somebody likes our stuff or shares our stuff, that causes us to want to get more likes and get more shares and we kind of figure out when there's rage involved, when you're going on a rant, you get more likes and shares, believe it or not. And then when you've gotten something that's like almost going viral and it's really big and it's, you know, full of rage, the most natural thing in the world is to follow it up with another rage post because it's going to get shared and liked again. And I know that sounds really weird, but listen to what this um, Dr. William Bradley Brady said, this is the first evidence that some people learn to express more outrage over time because they're rewarded by the basic design of social media. What they're saying there is we are learning as a culture to get high on rage. And that's happening as a result. Social media is helping speed that along, especially when you have such contentious issues, which many people are going to care very deeply about. So we're kind of getting hooked on this drug, and even if that weren't true, I mean, everybody knows this, you experience difficulty and annoyance and antagonism. And Paul told Timothy, hey man, anyone who's going to live godly in Christ is going to be persecuted. So if you're a Christian, you're going to have even another layer of that, you know, kind of antagonistic toward your faith. This is going to happen on planet Earth, and now it's getting more and more, it's infecting our culture. Now, to make matters even a little bit worse, <clears throat> Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to study quite a bit today, hey, if anybody even says to their brother, you fool, or says raka, or says, um, you good for nothing, Jesus says, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Because really, that outward expression of you fool is just the seedling of murder and hate expressing itself somewhere. It wasn't murder but it's still kind of murderous coming out of you. Rage, really simple to define, it's violent, uncontrollable anger. And the problem is we don't always see the effects of anger on us. We can see other people be angry, we can get angry, but we don't see the long-term effects of giving ourselves over to increasing anger and rage. Let's look at some three kind of ideas from the scriptures. We're going to go through some Proverbs kind of really, really quick. Won't even always give you the, the reference, but first we need to know angry rage is the brand of a fool. Angry rage is the brand of a fool. Now, when I say fool, the scripture when it says fool isn't talking about somebody that's oh, that kind of dumb. They're talking about somebody who rebelliously looks at the ways of God and say, I, don't, I can outsmart God here. I'm just going to go around to God's ways and I'll do something else. The Bible says that's a fool. So uh, 29 11, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great 
foolishness. Maybe you're like me, and you don't even you wouldn't even say that you struggle with anger. Like anger is not a normal like like I can think of the sins that I'm like, yep. That's something for me. There's a little bit of sinful pleasure in it. I get no pleasure out of anger, and it's not one that I typically struggle with. But when I go there, man, maybe like me, it's cost you some things when you've given vent to your anger. Some of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life were in a moment of kind of just like letting it fly. I'm, I'm done being patient now, and you know, I kind of blow up. And I've certainly seen, yeah, it shows great foolishness. Only fools get angry quickly and hold a grudge. Here's the second idea. Anger and angry friends steer us into trouble. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. So if we're, if we're traveling along on the expressway, and there's a, a sign up ahead, you know, it's an exit to pull off, and it says, somewhere dumb. When we're angry, we're saying, yep, I'm veering off into this direction. If you grew up in a home that was filled with anger, you very likely learned to be angry. It was what was modeled to you. And unfortunately, if we don't do anything about it, you are also modeling that to others and teaching them to be angry as kind of a way to deal with life. If you want a good picture of some of the effects of anger, anger I think one, of the, one great contemporary example is if you look at the, the movie version of The Incredible Hulk, for like the first two Avengers films. I mean, how, how many recognize, like he, he, you know, he's cool and funny because he's smashing or whatever, but this dude is just barely in control and often is not. And everything in his pathway is experiencing destruction. And that is the danger of letting our anger grow into rage. Psalm 37, eight, bridle your anger, trash your wrath, cool your pipes. It only makes things worse. <clears throat> anger can be, like once you get on to anger, it can be really hard to get off. And this is hard sometimes because people are like, well, you know, you just got to, what you need to take a foam baseball bat and just start beating the people you're angry with and that'll kind of like let it out. Um, that's not how anger works. The Bible's super clear about this. Dude, just like lust, if you give yourself to it, it gets worse. It is a bottomless pit, baby. You're never going to be like, oh, I'm done now. All the, all the anger is gone. No, all it did was just stir it up. When I was a kid, I used to frequent Great America quite a bit. And you get in the roller coaster, okay? Anybody been on a roller coaster here? You know, it's like you got a few seconds before they're going to lock that bar down, okay? So it's like clink, clink, clink. And if you can jump out before that thing gets, gets out, you're out. Like you don't have to go on that thing. But once that thing is locked, honey, you're in because they don't want you to fall out of that thing. Anger is a lot like, you don't even know what ride you're getting on. You just run up, you're like, I'm in, boom, let's go. You don't know where that's going. You know what that's going to do. When we give ourselves to anger, we have no idea what's up ahead, but we're getting on the roller coaster. Ephesians 4.26, Paul has some advice about this. He's going to alert us. There's often a demonic component to simmering anger. Check this out, Ephesians 4.26. And don't sin by letting anger control. He's giving advice. He's like, hey, you people that are trying to follow Christ, check this out. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. This is why, I mean, you know, this is just one application of this, but, you know, I try to, especially with my wife, we don't like to wait 24 hours before we deal with something. At least try to. Let's, let's try to get back together because 
We don't want that anger to fester because the enemy tends to just like, he, he repeats offenses and repeats offenses and repeats offenses into our ear and it gets worse and worse and worse and it begins to mess with, and this is where we go, go wrong, it begins to mess with how we're seeing things. We start to get a little bit confused. Rage, it really exemplifies in our culture right now what leads to this payback, this idea of cancel culture and even murder culture. We say, I want them to get theirs. I'm so lit now that there's got to be consequences for what they've done. And here's the problem. This was a study done by Thaddeus, Dr. Thaddeus Williams. Here's what he found as he was studying the effects of rage. First, here's ways that it messes with our thinking, okay? First, it leads to snap judgments. It leads to us, really, essentially, you are underthinking. Like, you're, you're concluding things and, and assuming that's the only way anyone could possibly interpret that data. And there's multiple other ways, potentially, to interpret that data. But you've just you've jumped right in because you're angry. It leads to lack of humility. We're, we're riding that anger roller coaster. We're much less inclined to be a little bit self-reflective and be like, well, let me, let me look inside. Let me see, are there areas that I need to pull the log out of my own eye? before I attempt to pull the speck out of their eye? Because if, maybe if I do have a log in my eye, I would even be more helpful to them if I get it out. But anger gets us into lack of humility. It leads us really into prejudice. Prejudice. Prejudging somebody. Deciding, hey, I already know all the facts that I need to know. You've got one or two similarities with an entire group. And so I've taken all their collective sins and saying, all their sins are on you now because you in some slight ways remind me of them. That's prejudice. And that's what it causes us to like, jump to conclusions. Well, you know, you know, those kinds of folks, that's what they do. Well, you know, you know, men, that's just how they're going to do it. Well, you know, kids, you know, kids that wear those kind of clothes and hang out over, that's what they're going to do. It's, and it's just prejudice and, and it's, we're quicker to the draw because we're hulking up. We're thinking in rage. And here's, here's the thing for Christians. We can't be, we can't be, we can't be rage-filled and love-filled at the same time. Can't be both. The world is like super okay with being rage-filled. We, we just need to know, okay, well, you can be one or the other, but you can't be rage-filled and love-filled. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul being rage-filled? Like, I mean, he's sitting here getting whipped in the street. And he's, he's keeping his composure because he doesn't want it to contradict his message. He's, he's telling the Roman authorities, uh, by the way, you just might want to know this. I'm a Roman city citizen. It's, it's really not cool to whip me. Okay. And they're like, oh my gosh, they back off. But he wasn't like, I can't believe this system. I can't believe these Romans. Here they go again. You know what I'm saying? He didn't try to take down the establishment. He kept his poise as a Christian and said, I'm not going to give into rage culture. I'm going to keep my love culture. He was displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what we all need to display. If you're not familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, this is found in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. But essentially what it is, it's saying, when you give your life over to Jesus Christ and you ask him to come and reside within you and to live inside of you, and really what he's doing is he's living the Christian life through you, he's going he's gonna to act different than you. He's going to make you want to do different things. You're, like rage is going to start to seem foreign to you because you're going to want to be filled with Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and humility and self-control. 
That's, that's what should characterize people that are increasingly being ruled by Christ, not, not rage. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus teaching to his initial disciples, and we're going to draw some conclusions about they lived in a culture that was very angry and violent. And we're going to draw some conclusions about how we can live in our culture, how we can understand our own time, even when it's very angry and violent. So Jesus, here's where he is. He's, he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. This is his most famous sermon. It's Matthew 5 through 7. Chapter 5 through 7. And the big picture, we need to understand the big picture of the sermon before we narrow in on just a little slice of it. The big picture, what Jesus is trying to tell everybody is, hey, um, God's law, you think it's like pretty high standards because you see all these religious leaders and, and they have all these rules and they seem like they're, they're crushing it, you know. He says, but they're really not crushing it because their hearts are all wrong. And you might think that's good news at first, but Jesus says it's actually, it's even worse news for you. Because the standard is about the heart, not just the exteriors. You can get all the exteriors right, but you won't get the interior right. And so he uses language like, you've heard it said, if anyone um, commits adultery, you know, that's bad. But I tell you, dude, if you even look at somebody with lust in your heart, that was the seedling. You already did it. And so what that's, what that's on one level doing is saying, this is the real standard of God. It's not just exterior, it's interior. This is who God wants you to be. And by the way, Jesus says, and you're never going to be able to do it. Your best guys can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. Why would he say that? Because he's leading them to, you're going to need somebody else to do it for you. You're going to need somebody else to fulfill the law for you. You're going to need somebody else to obey all the rules for you. Not that you stop trying, but that someone actually completes it for you. Somebody gets you the A on the test, you need Jesus to do it for you. Jesus is the only one that can do it. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's to both declare Jesus is the new lawgiver, he's the new Moses, and also, by the way, no one was able even to fulfill the law of Moses, much less, uh, much less Jesus' higher law, except for Jesus Christ himself. So that's the big picture. And now we're going to jump into this little portion of it where he's talking about enemies, where he's trying to tell us very little is more godlike than loving our enemies. Matthew 5, 43. It says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pause. It was true. In the law, it said, you shall love your neighbor. It really didn't say, you shall hate your enemy. That's not something God said. Probably what he's referring to is, is people could infer from places like the Psalms where David, and that's a song, that's a poem. David is saying, God, I want, you know, I hate all your enemies and I want to crush them, you know, break their teeth. Okay, so maybe you're, you're picking up cues from David. Maybe that's how you're getting hate your enemies. But also, that said, in that first century Jewish culture, they've got real enemies, right? Like Rome has real enemies. Nobody in that time, if you tell them they have an enemy, they're not going to love them. They're, they're going to be like, oh, well, let's get them. Let's get rid of them. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's at best, you know, not have to engage them. But if we have to, let's just crush them. Let's get, we don't want enemies, Enemies want to take our stuff. They want to take our land. They want to rape our women. Enemies are bad. I'm not going to love them. So you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But but I say to you, here's the higher law. Here's the inner law. Here's the greater than Moses law. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we we got to understand, when he says love your enemies, we're in the 21st century. We're, We're so distant from this. We think he's talking about sentimental something. 
but we feel love for you. Write your enemies a love song. That's not, that's not it at all. When he says love, what he's saying is love like God loves, and it's an action, okay? It's a verb. It's not a, it's not a feeling. That means always want good for them. No matter what they do, be faithfully always doing good to them. It means greet them on the street, even when you've, if you've got tension between you. That means always desire, have their best interest in mind, even though part of you doesn't. Part of you doesn't like them. Jesus says, go on and faithfully keep seeking to serve them and do good toward them. So why? So you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's saying, look at, look at the way God treats even his enemies. God is just as good to his enemies as he is to his friends. Right now, in this moment, in this epoch of world history, when God has enemies, when God has people that denounce him and shake their fists at him, God still treats them kindly. He's like, well, I'm still giving you sunshine. I'm still giving you beautiful mountain ranges. I'm still doing all kinds of great stuff in your life. I'm keeping you healthy. God is is being just as good to the people who are oppositional to him as he is to the people that are praising him on Sunday morning. Jesus says, be like God. Do like God would do because that's way beyond what's normal. And then he goes on. He says, for if you love those who love you and reward, or if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? We won't go into it, but tax collectors weren't like today. They were, they were bad guys who were betrayers of the nation of Israel. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. A couple things about that. Let's start with the perfect part. When he's saying perfect, he's not saying, okay, so no mistakes, anybody, any, everybody, no mistakes. No more mistakes now. He's saying, you want a picture of perfection? Look at the father. The father loves his enemies. Do that. That would be perfect. If you could just go ahead and start loving your enemies the way that the father does. And by the way, if you think that because you love deeply the relationships that you have around you, if you think, you know, it's it's kind of bonus points because you are so loving to your family, Jesus says, nah, that's really not any bonus points. That's not even points. Everybody does that, Jesus says. Evil people do that. You don't get any points for just loving the people close to you. And many of us would, would, would assume, we're like, well, you know, I should love the people around me really deeply, but my enemies, man, hey, good luck to them. You know, I don't need to do anything. And Jesus says, no, you actually do need to love them. That's how you image the Father. Are we hearing this today? And it's, it's really hard, but God says, especially in times like these, if we're trying to understand our times, in times like these, God says, yeah, you should look very different from the chorus of voices around you. If you fit in entirely on the right, or you fit in entirely on the left, that don't make any sense in the Bible. Because the Bible's radically different than all of them. I haven't heard anybody, any political platform be like, I got an idea, guys. Why don't we do this? Let's round up all our enemies and just love them. Think of the the people that are kind of the worst for society. Let's go door to door and give them hugs, right? Like nobody's saying that, 
because that's not the way of the world. It's completely countercultural. It wasn't the way of the world in Jesus' time, and it's not the way of the world now. And Jesus says, that's my people. You want to image my father? Go ahead and start loving your enemies. So you've got people that, you know, are they your enemies, really? Probably not, you know, in the deepest sense, right? They're not trying to kill you. But you probably have versions of enemies. You have people that, you know, you're kind of oppositional with or, or they've hurt you over time or, you know, you're, you, they're the kind of people that like, uh, you know, you get tense around them. You don't really want to see them. So some people, they've hurt you and they're dead, you know, and there's nothing you can do about that. But there's other people that they're alive and, and they've, you've, they've hurt you in such ways that you're like, I could just never see them again and I'm good. Like, that's fine. I've got people that I'm like, man, even if I see them in heaven, I'm probably going to punch them the first thing I'm going to do. <laughs> so we, we've got people like that, that, that hey, man, hopefully I'll, I'll just never see them. But we've got people that maybe a little less than that. Like, if you were in Target and you saw them, like, across the way, you're like, I'm sneaking out the other side of the store because I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to see them. I don't have to say hi and pretend we're cool because we're not cool. You might have people like that. You might have people that, man, it's just really hard to go to the holiday party because they're there. Right? They're maybe part of your family or, or you know, friend of whoever, but it's like, okay, how long is this thing? I don't know that I can take them for this long at this table. I'm going to try to spend time on the other side of the apartment, however I got to do it. You, know, you just don't want to see them. And then maybe there's other people maybe you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor. It's, it's somebody you're like, you don't say anything. You're not necessarily, you're probably playing nice, but you know this is kind of like my enemy. I don't want to be around them. And then there's maybe people that just hurt your feelings. They're just people like, you know, come on, man. I trusted you to be really good. and You've hurt me like this. And you're, you're hiding it, but sometimes it leaks out in passive-aggressive behavior. We've got all kinds, like there's a spectrum, there's a range of people who could be our enemies. But at the end of the day, they did something. Maybe they failed to love you in a way that you thought was pretty obvious. Maybe they, they did something to you know, make you feel like your rights didn't matter or weren't important. Maybe they, they said something or did something that really cast negative vision for your future. They just kind of pulled you down with what they said and maybe they didn't even know they, sa- they said it, but you know. Or maybe you gave somebody like your best performance. You said, what about this? And they, they treated it like, eh, I don't always think the same about that performance. And you don't want it to, but cut you, man. It hurts. And Jesus is asking us, I want you to go ahead and love your enemies. Love those people. Actively, not just in your feelings. Why? Number one, loving our enemies articulates our allegiance to the king. Loving our enemies out loud in the real world, articulates better than just saying it, better than posting an image on social media. It articulates our true allegiance to the king. It declares Jesus Christ is supreme over my actual human heart. I'm going to go ahead and obey this thing that is ridiculous. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do this because he's actually my king. And we're saying, and by the way, it's, it's Jesus. It's not just some... God, it's not just some version of spiritualism. It is the only religion that says, yeah, go ahead and your, your enemies, go ahead and love them. 
It doesn't even say, hey, you know, just don't do one to anybody, anything you don't want them to do to you. No, that's not near enough. It's saying, I want you to go actively find your enemies and I want you to demonstrate the love of the Father to them. And, And by the way, Jesus says, it's a command. This is a distinguishing characteristic of the people that hail me as their king. And loving our enemies, did you see that? So that you may prove yourselves to be sons and daughters, family members of your father who is in heaven. The idea that God himself would invite not only Jews, but Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That means for a lot of, many thousands of years, you were the outcasts. You were like, the people of God were like, not them. And yet God says, no, them. I'm inviting them in to be my very, not even just my subjects, but my family. Meaning God says, relationship with me is a huge, primary, important thing. That's, that, that, that would have been unheard of then. And we, we underconsider it right now. But the reason it's important for us to grasp and think through I don't know if you've noticed this, but in this understanding of the time series, we keep jumping back and forth. We come jumping back and forth from action to truth, action to truth, because it's both action to truth. Let's come back to truth for a second. Is it real? Like, which one is it, folks? Let's think about this. Which, which one is most important? We, we have to answer this question. What are we trying to do here? Are we trying to do great things for God with the time that we have? We're trying to like get some stuff done. Come on, world. And, you know, hopefully that might make us feel a little bit closer to God. Or is it the other way? Is it the point? Is to be in relationship, in love with God and become so fiery because of it that you can't help but love what he loves and hate what he hates. And you must go attempt to change the world in his power. Those are two different things. And they look very different in the life of a person. So which one, which one is the main thing? We're supposed to keep the main thing the main thing, but which one is the main thing? The main thing is right here. So that you may be sons and daughters of your father. God is a God of relationship. God has got plans for the world that are going to be very, very good long after you and I are gone. And he wants us to change the world while we're here, but he wants it to flow out of an intimate, tight, beautiful, fiery sign and wonder of a human that was a rebel now in love with their God. That's, what, that's the point. That's the main thing. And we we got to nail that down. We got to decide for it now because it matters how we change the world. Are we hearing this? It matters how we do it because if it's just pragmatic, if it's just like, well, let's just go do the thing, then it doesn't really matter how you do it. If, if, if like whatever it takes, baby, then do is rage. If Rachel get it done, if Rachel move it faster, man, get as angry as you possibly can. But if it matters how you do it, if it matters to God, and God really sees the long view and sees that when you do things out of step with his character, it ultimately produces sour, nasty, negative fruit. If it matters, then let's keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is God. And out of that, work very, very hard in his, the power of his spirit to bring about change as a result of painting on the canvas of your relationship with God. Well, I don't know, man. If I was here at this church, I would like this message. I'd probably say amen right now. I'm just saying, that's what I would do. Very little is more godlike than loving our enemies. Y'all still with me? Can you make it? 
let's get down to brass tacks and, and how we do it because this is hard to do. I don't know, but maybe y'all are drinking something different than me and it makes you super easy to be holy. I don't know. This is hard for me. Loving my enemies is hard. Like, it's probably the hardest thing. I ain't gonna lie. Some of you had braces when you were younger or you have braces now. And you know that when we get braces, you know, the orthodontist comes in and they, they put, you know, these things on our teeth and it's taking what is kind of misshapen and bringing it back into alignment but at first, oh, it's not so fun. I, you know, every time you know, she adjusts that thing, you know, and then you go home and you can't like really eat for two days. You want to slurp everything because oh, this is hard. It's hard to get in this gear. It's not natural. Braces are a lot like this command to love your enemies. It doesn't feel natural. It feels, it's going against the grains. I don't want it. I, nothing in me wants to do this. And yet God says, wear the braces. Wear them. It's going to get easier. Wear the braces. So maybe, you know, here's, a, here's two real quick examples. Years ago, I worked at a different kind of a place with a guy that I was becoming, you know, closer to. We were buddies. We weren't like besties, but we were buddies, you know. It was, it was cool to hang out. And we got in a little spat. You know, you get in a little spat during the day. And I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. And, and this guy's annoying me. And, you know, and, and God was bringing up to my mind, love your enemies. I'm like, ah, so I'm out at lunch. Like, I'm just going to bring him a milkshake. I don't know. So I just bring him a milkshake and I put it on his desk, you know, and I walk away. Like, that's all I did. Well, he liked the milkshake and it softened him a little bit to drink the milkshake. But you know what else did? It softened me to purchase the milkshake. And by the end of the day, we were chumming it up, man, you know, laughing and slapping high fives. That was, you know, that was a guess and it happened to work. It was a tangible expression of love. And depending on what the relationship is with you, that might look very different. And it might be that you need to love them in a way that is different than you would even receive love. And depending how distant or, or close that relationship is, is going to matter, you know, that's going to affect what you do. Early on in Kenzie's and my marriage, we had this relative that we would go see from time to time. It was one of those, like, you're at the holiday party and it's just hard Okay, now you're going to be with them for the rest, of, you know, God, God willing, for several decades more, they're going to be around. Okay, so you got you to learn how to love them. But we would literally be going to that location with all this family. And we're like, Jesus, you got to just, it's so hard sometimes. Would you just teach us how to love them? Like, we don't want to. It feels like they should be apologizing for some things. But would you give us ideas of what we can do? And I don't know what it's going to be for you, but it might be, you know, God lays on your heart, you know, um, compliment them. Find things they're doing right. Man, I saw the way you just did that with your kids. That was really cool. I just want you to know. Now, you, you might be dying on the inside while you say that. You know what I'm saying? You might, you might you know, you're going to get them a little $5 gift card for Christmas and God's like, you know, and I'll spend 40 bucks on them or whatever it is. You're like, no, whatever it is, go ahead and take that step. Maybe it's just start talking kind to them. Maybe it's being really hyper, way more interested than you are in their thing, right? You're just zeroing in. This thing is dumb, but would you tell me about it, you know? Because you're attempting to love them in a way that they feel love. Some people, it's just time with them. Other people, it's just celebrating their thing, whatever that thing is. Yay! You know, you're just, you're, now you're not being fake. You're trying to genuinely, yes, Lord, I appreciate that. That's good. We're not talking about, my friends, allowing people to treat you like a doormat and stay in a place where they're constantly speaking death or doing death to you. That's not what we're talking about. You need, honestly, let's talk about that. Like, 
come find me after church. We'll maybe get you out of that situation or whatever. That shouldn't be the culture of the place. But when it's not that, when it's just somebody that God is calling you to love because they're enemy-ish, very little is more godlike than loving our enemies. Here's number two. We're almost done. Why would we do it? Because loving our enemies leaves a light on for God to work later. Leaves a light on for God to work later. This is hard to believe at first, but what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to love them so that I stay open to spirit-led solutions in the future. Because it's so easy to write people off. Especially now that we're a more mobile society, it's like, I ain't got to see you ever again. Block, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, I never have to see you, sucker, so bye. And that's easy to do, you know, we close down our hearts and, hey, problem solved. But let's instead say, I don't see how God could ever fix this. You know, like I've, I've tried, you know, the Bible says, Book of Romans, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. Maybe you tried to be at peace and they're like shutting that door. They don't want to talk to you. They're, they're not allowing that to happen. Even so, we decide in our hearts, well, you know, I couldn't do it, but maybe God. Maybe God someday could soften their hearts and we could come back together. And maybe during that time, there's time to question in your own heart, did I jump the gun there? Like, did I underthink that? Was I under-reflective in the way that I interacted with them? Maybe with time, sometimes we're trying to get everything done so fast. Like, man, if this, if this isn't solved, I'm, I'm giving up and I'm moving away. Some things, my friends, it just takes a long time to heal. Give God time. 21 years ago, my sister was in a really bad car accident. It's one of the worst things that ever happened in my life, much less hers. It's rough. It's in the story of my family. It's a tough patch. And yet we were believing God, and by the grace of God, she came out of her three-week coma, and she got better. And it was really slow going. Like she had to relearn how to think and relearn how to swallow and relearn how to, you know, move. And over time, she just got better and better. But she would tell us from time to time, I got shards of glass deep buried underneath my skin from the windshield, shattered. And years would go by and more would come up. You know, and it's just working its way out. Just working its way out. It takes a long time to heal. Well, many of you know that Heather you know, works here now and she runs a lot of stuff and she's amazing and she's dope and she's awesome. But I asked her this week, I was like, hey, you still got any of that glass in you? She's like, I feel one coming up right now. It's still there. And, and the point of me saying that is we're impatient. We're like, why isn't it done yet? And when, when you turn it over to God to heal, God sometimes takes a long time. So can I encourage you to open your heart? Is it possible? And that's why I believe he says, but I say to you, love your enemies pray and pray for them because when we pray for them something begins to change in us and it begins to do good toward them it starts to change in us because we start to get soft and and here's what i'm I'm saying like when i'm forcing myself and i'm just shooting straight when i'm forcing myself to pray for my enemies which i have to do sometimes sometimes it's a cardio you better do it it's stuff like oh god would you just heal all their hurts and would you, would you reveal yourself in your word? And whatever is like a wild dream of theirs, would you just do it? You know, just be good to them. Would you um, open doors for them and help them cross some bridges and whatever? And even if we never get back, this is how I console myself. Even if we never, you know, I've got people, maybe like you, I've got people in my life there. I'll be surprised if we ever speak again before heaven. Like, I'll just be surprised. It's not that it couldn't happen, but I'll be surprised if it happens. 
But I want to be, I'm kind of excited because I want to be able to tell them when I see them, I've been praying for you. I know that we didn't, it didn't work somehow, but I love you. And I, I just want you to know, I was trying to do good to you even when we were estranged. I was trying to do good to you by praying for you. And I don't know if it did any good for you, but it did good for me because I was doing that. So is it possible there's some enemies you need to love through prayer, asking God to reunite you? And maybe he won't, you know, that's kind of a cherry on top, but it'll save you from cynicism. So also 21 years ago, I haven't told anybody this yet. Many of you know about the, you know, there was a hard season that uh, my wife and I went through. It was a church split, and it was really hard. What you don't know is a really close friend of mine was on the other side of that church split. And it was really hard. And, you know, he was like the best man at my wedding. And, and yet, you know, we're, we're, we're separated. And I wouldn't have used the word enemy just out of honor for the previous relationship, but it was hard to use the word friend. Because we just weren't seeing eye to eye. And, you know, years began to move on and, and roll on. And we would talk from time to time on the phone. I'm just like, all right, well, hey, how you doing? You know, it, it was kind of like, stir yourself up. Let's, let's talk and, and find out, you know, where, where things are. But then it might be three years before we talk again or whatever. And it was one of those things that you kind of just let die and you put it in the ground, you buried it. And like, hey, maybe someday in heaven, I'm sure we'll give each other a big hug and that'll be great. Well, then one day about three years ago, we decided to go out to Portillo's together. And then, I'm like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And then he and his wife started coming to our church. And then he joined the worship band. And guys, I got to tell you, like, now he's a tight bud again. And that's a miracle to me. One of my miracles in my life is that my sister's alive. Another miracle for me is that he and I are bros. Like, it's, it's doggone amazing. And it's amazing because I was like, for sure, that is dead. There's no way he and I could ever do anything to move back toward each other. And yet, who did it? God did it. God just did it. And it was just like a favor. It was a gift. I don't think that happens most times. I don't think that happens for everybody. But it happened for us. And I just want to testify to the goodness and the faithfulness of my God. And check this out. Here's what blows my mind. In some ways, that relationship is more precious because it's a resurrection. You know what I'm saying? I didn't appreciate him before. I do now. I'm like, oh my gosh, God, God delivered this, this zombie-looking dead thing, came back to life because God did it. So I just want to introduce you to the idea, is it possible, people, you've written off. If you will just, all you have to do is open your heart. You don't have to do anything else and begin to pray. God, is it possible, if there's a way that you could bring some kingdom win out of this, would you, I, I'll, I'll be faithful to pray about it, God, if you would just think about doing that. Let me co- close with this story. Some of you have heard of a woman named Corey Tin Boom. She writes this in her journal. I want you, I'm going to read, it's a bit of a quote, but I want you to, to get this. <clears throat> Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi Nazi occupation in Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. So can you picture this? 
This woman, in the very concentration camp she was at, the, a guard who was there, is at a place where she's speaking about the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. She goes on, she says, And I, who had spoken so glibly on forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He went on, You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again, the hand comes out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sin, sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy, her sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, held, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it, I knew that. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And as I stood there, with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my head. I can do that much. Or sorry, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You'll supply the feeling. And woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You know, unlike my buddy and me, they didn't like go out after that. They didn't have some good times. Like that's kind of the end of that story. But he was forgiven. And even though she had been the captive, she was the one who was now more free than she'd ever been. And she was a true daughter of her father. So we live in a world right now that is characterized by rage and you and I get to decide hey man we can be rage filled or we can be love filled is rage inevitable well it's not for Christians why because very little is more godlike than loving our enemies let's bow our heads and pray Hard lesson, Lord. Stuff that part of us really wants to do, part of us really doesn't want to do. We ask right now for the grace to be able to do this in your name. We want to thank you so much, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. We want to thank you for closing the distance between you and us. Thank you that that distance was way wider than any distance between us and anybody else. God, we're asking that the forgiveness you've shown us, you, you would 
send it through us to others. Right now, as you're bowing your heads and your eyes are closed, some of you may be thinking, I don't know that I've known that forgiveness from God. And I just got to tell you, it's going to be really hard to pass it on if you haven't known it yourself. Can I encourage you? You are deeply loved. You are someone that God thinks is so valuable. He's willing to leave heaven, pay your penalty on the cross, and die for your sins. But here's what needs to happen. You need to accept his gift. You need to, like, ratify it. You need to say it to him. Lord, I do need to be forgiven. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need to be that family member of yours. And I'm aware that I've been running and I've been far and I've been drifting. Jesus, I'm ready to say, will you forgive me? Because I've been living like an enemy. That's super easy. Because all you have to do is say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And the answer is going to be yes. He wants you to come home to him. He wants you to quit you know, staying on the outskirts, staying on the fringe. He wants you to just come into his warm embrace. And when you do, you need to know your past is gone. It's history. And you're forgiven. You're just as forgiven as that guard was. But it takes you accepting the gift. You've got to come. He's, open. He's got his, his arms open. But you've got to come say, Jesus, me. Will you forgive me? And you can do that right in your chair. You just have to agree with me in prayer. We weren't even planning on doing this, but I sense God leading this way. Jesus Christ says, I love you and I will forgive you and take you all the way to heaven on the basis of what I did right for you. Not on any of your good works, any things you did as a kid, anything when you got baptized, whatever it was, only because Jesus loves you. If you'll just bring him yourself and bring him your sin. So I'm going to pray this prayer right now and you should agree with it in your heart if that's you. Jesus, I've been living like an enemy. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have betrayed you like this. I shouldn't have run from you. I knew better in a lot of situations, but I kept my distance. I'm ready to not keep my distance anymore. I'm ready to come home. Master, would you forgive me? Would you take me back? Would you... Show me your smile again. Would you throw your robe of righteousness around me and put your ring on my finger and lift me up on your shoulders and carry me around because your love is that great? I believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for my sin and rose again. And I just, I just say, God, I'm coming home and I trust you. I trust that you love me. I trust that you forgive me. Now fill me with your spirit. Help me make, help me be a conduit for your forgiveness for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being His witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts from. 
special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.